This episode is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. My name is Kenny Buller, and as a host of Second Floor Podcast, we are extremely proud to say that we are partners and affiliated with Alberta Podcast Network. Enjoy the episode. Second Floor Podcast listeners, I have to date, I'm very excited to say this, our biggest, most iconic guest, the one and only Jordan Shallow. Welcome aboard, Jordan, to the Second Floor Podcast, man. Thanks, man. With an intro like that, I can only disappoint now. So I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah, man. You know, I've been just at first keeping it short and sweet. We'll do intros in a more lengthened, extensive manner uh, after the show here. Uh, but I just want to start off, man. Like, with someone like yourself who is, you know, traveling the world and educating others in the personal training space and, and many other things along with it, I, I find it'd be pretty neat to hear, you know, how you summarize what you do when someone goes to you and goes, oh, you know, what, what do you do for a living? How do you summarize that? Yeah, because it's, it's always at airports. Um, it's always like, what are you, why, what, why are you here? Uh I'm going to be honest because I have this conversation so frequently <laughs> and this is going to sound really bad, but I just tell people I'm a drug dealer and there's no follow-up questions <laughs> because that doesn't have to be explained. Like it's all, I'm getting on a plane or I'm taking my seat or I'm like in a lounge on a layover or something. And it's always like, what do you, what do you do for a living? Um, but yeah. I, so I, I will, I will go, I will lead off with drug dealer. And if I get a laugh that I'll tell people, but it's really just a matter of like, because it could take the better part of an hour and a half on the podcast for me to articulate what it is I actually do. Um, I mean, technically speaking, I'm a chiropractor and strength coach. I, I probably more realistic to my day to day. I, you know, you could, you could say I'm a, a founder or a, an entrepreneur is a weird word for me to say. Uh, I basically just lift weights. I think about lifting weights. I tell others what weights to lift. Uh, I think about the way they lift weights and then I write some of it down and then I talk about it for hours and hours and hours on end. So yeah, usually go with the chiropractor if I'm being a little bit more serious, um, strength coach and like the founder route kind of encompasses all the media stuff and podcasting and, and all that. So those are kind of like my go to three, but if I need to get out of a conversation quick, I just say drug dealer and walk away. <laughs> yeah, just to avoid another three hour podcast with someone on a plane, right? <laughs> well, I think it also affirms what most people were thinking. <laughs> they just didn't, ex- they, most people would look at me on a plane and be like, yeah, I bet you this guy's a drug dealer. I'm going to ask. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, with, with that being said, I mean, it's really unique to me. And you could, of course, expand on this how, you know, you're comfortable enough to lead in the front with saying you're a chiropractor. And then I've, I've heard some podcasts where, you know, you've been on where you've mentioned how, um, you know, in the space of being a chiropractic, there are many people who you also agree in saying that are almost skeptic of going to see a chiropractor in the first place. And I'm wondering if, you know, there's 
anything you've done to change the narrative yourself or even, you know, change the direction of, of what chiropractors actually do for people when it comes to alleviating pain and, and then making people feel better? Because, yeah, I believe you and me can both agree that there's many clients we've been in front of and people who go, oh, that's the last person you'd want to see. Um, you know, is there anything that you felt like you were a part of or you'd want to share more of a positive light on now with uh, those who are doing their best to prove people wrong in that aspect with what's changed lately? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess as far as what I've, what I've done, it's like if you understand the problem, like just sitting there holding a pitchfork, trying to like protest for your right to be respected in the industry, it's just not the way it's going to happen. Like, so, I mean, part of it, it would be like, uh, you know, actually developing courses through Prescript and kind of taking what I found to be, you know, useful for my experience as a chiropractor. And at the very least, like the level of anatomy we learn or should learn or should know is, is decently high and trying to make that like palatable to the masses. Uh, so on like the grassroots level, I would say like, you know, Prescript is very much, I don't want to say born out of like frustration and, and not having that much applicable information coming out of school at least in like a more active treatment style. Um, but it's definitely meant to service, you know, I would say about 25% of our students are clinicians, um, it, whether physical therapists or chiropractors, and then, you know, strength coaches and PTs kind of fill in the rest of that 100%. So that's kind of like on the back end day to day, as far as like kind of making a change in the perception, it's like, well, actually hopefully bringing the field forward and making it more, I don't want to say progressive, but uh, you know, giving giving them a, some more tools in the toolbox because I, I don't work necessarily like a normal chiropractor, which I remember getting that. I guess that was a compliment back in when I was still in school. Um, so just kind of redefining the standard rather than being defined by what people think chiropractic is. And then on the front end, it's really like awareness of really the personal brand and what we're doing. So like getting on getting on podcasts, getting on, you know, working with people of, of a particular influence. Like I've been lucky to train some people with some really big podcasts and, you know, they, they have me on and they kind of like rip back and forth and I've, you know, been able to hopefully swing a few people into favor of chiropractors just by getting on some like fairly large platforms. So, you know, a, a lot of people want to, they want to fight their good fight from, Instagram posts or their the, the angry corner in which they yell at the internet in it's like that's not how you're gonna change anything so uh you know prescript is definitely part of it but I think on the outward facing like getting onto podcasts and kind of illuminating the and, and like admitting the problems of the profession um maybe offering offering some sound advice is how to vet you know good clinicians um, and then just making people more aware uh, of, you know, the, the benefits of, or at the very least, you know, saying that it's not all just this one, this one sort of passive modality that everyone thinks it is. Yeah. And, and I think that's a unique thing is I, I like how you touched upon how we can vet what makes a chiropractor a good one. And, you know, the interesting thing is I always think, you know, lately, when I needed to go see one, a chiropractor was actually the first person I went to see when I had a, a, like really bad whiplash in my first MMA fight. And long story short, Jordan, I ended up experiencing a, a shattered jaw based off of it. So just got rocked in the first minute of the fight. And, you know, at that point, I just had my doctor recommend I go see a chiropractor for an adjustment. 
And I went to go see one and I'll be honest, I personally had a good experience, but many people I remember at the time were like, oh, are you sure you want to get someone like that to adjust on you? And, you know, I'm just wondering from your own personal, let's say bias here, what would that vetting process look like for you? And like, when do you think it's best someone sees a Cairo? Is it, is it like an order? Is it like, oh, see a physio first and then go consider seeing a Cairo or, you know, what would be your let's say checklist of items that you think are important for when someone should actually consider seeing a car. I mean, anything that seems as if it has its roots in like a musculoskeletal base, probably with well within the scope of most diligent chiropractors, I think, you know, the, the screen as far as going in should, you know, them personally, like what type of, what type of quote unquote, like style do they practice? You know, are, if are, are they going to x-ray everyone first? That's probably a red flag. Now, in your case, a whiplash, head injuries, might be best, the car accidents, things like that. Yeah, you're probably going to want an x-ray. And, and I would probably be a some uh, some level of malpra- uh, malpractice, but now it could be seen as malpractice if you got in a car accident and they didn't x-ray you first. Um, you know, or some sort of advanced imaging, MRI, CT, something like that. But I would say by and large, one of the, stigmas you could look to avoid is for those chiropractors that before they do anything they send you out the door to get an x-ray that by and large is going to be somewhat of a yellow flag as far as someone who's practicing maybe off of like antiquated information um, or at least an antiquated style so that would be somewhere where if you saw that you probably want to go see someone else i usually look to athletics right like especially in canada Figure out who your local, whether it's your, you know, OHL team, whether it's the, uh, you know, that would obviously be Ontario or, you know, your, your f- local football team, you know, who's the Lions chiropractor? Because they're going to need someone who practices some level of active care because they're athletes. So that's usually some someone who has a finger in a sports pie, if you will, is probably a good place to start for people who aren't athletes as well. Um, because they're going to have an element of active care to their their treatment paradigms because they have to if they're working in that athletic population with you know guys that are you know getting paid good money to to play a particular sport so that's always like a a a safe haven for me is like okay this guy works with this baseball team or this girl works with this football team that's probably going to be your number one key indicator that this person is going to provide a service and a value that exceeds sort of the general rack and crack. Yeah, that's, that's a unique way of looking at it too, is like outside of the work they do, just look at who they're serving and how they've helped them, right? It's a good way of looking at it. I um, want to kind of switch gears here and, and look at, you know, a, a topic that of course is, is, is huge to talk about with you, Jordan, which is, you know, education. And I find this trainer's we always feel that sense of imposter syndrome, that sense of constantly wanting to get educated and look into what our next certification is going to be and when we should do it and apply it to our clientele. Um, you know, before I even go into that, the, let's say the concept of prescript and where it fits into all of it, I wanted to look into seeing, you know, when you were a trainer yourself, I, I want to see like, what was something that you learned, like, year one or like even month one like when you were first a trainer we're still to this day whenever you're educating or whenever you're working with your high level clients you still apply it was like one of those things where like man like i'm so glad i learned this and it was like the grassroots learning phase of when you were a trainer 
Yeah, I was really lucky, man. I got into when I was a trainer, my so I got into it through my trainer. So I was young, I was maybe 16, 17, and I was I got a trainer to train me in the off season because uh, I was playing junior hockey at the time. And I was like, okay, like I could make a go at this uh, to some level and, and I want to make sure I'm in shape. And uh, so I was working with a trainer at Good Life um, who had played in the OHL. And um, so I was like, okay, perfect. He'll know like the ins and outs. And he was great. Uh, internal issues with the company. He was moving. And long story short, the trainer I had was no longer there. And in, you know, in good life fashion, you sign a contract with the gym, not with the trainer. Found that one out real quick. And then best thing ever, because the trainer that they assigned to me is now one of my best friends. Jesus, 14 years later, however long it's been. Uh, so I started working with him. And he was, to this day, is probably one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to resistance training that I've ever met. So I had a lot of, I had a very steep learning, and not even steep learning curve, because he was a great teacher, but I learned things that most people 10, 15 years into weight training didn't know. And I learned that like day one. So, uh, you know, he's even just set me down the route of like who to read, who to follow that was, you know, worth the time and the investment. And, and as far as like the return on what we got in the gym. So he had me reading like Charles Poliquin articles, you know, day one. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is how everyone learns through the most, you know, winningest meddled strength coach ever. So I would, uh, what would be one thing that's good? Front squats. This is funny. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, I tend to not load my front squats more than six reps because mm -hmm. of an article I read by Poliquin probably 14 years ago. And, but just because the logic rang so true then and even more so now as I worked with however many, I don't know, hundreds thousands of people um so that's something where I, I think back on the actual article and be like i still agree with this 14 was, years later that's very unique what was the mindset behind not going over six on a front loaded squat right so the the idea is that like your thoracic erectors and basically like your upper body posture is going to be the bottleneck to loading your lower body because it's much more of an active rack than like a back squat which is much more like passive um, so it's like for the maximum amount of stimulus, you're probably not going to want to spend a ridiculous amount of time under tension, but you're going to want the tension to be really high. So it's like, if you're trying to load more like what we would call like vertical displacement of the pelvis, like low bar squatting, obviously is more horizontal displacement of the pelvis and do so in a significant way. You really got like a six rep window before your upper back is going to cave too much. And then it becomes useless for the upper back and for the legs. So I was like, oh, okay, that makes, and I've seen it like time and time again, where it's like in back squats, if you wanted to drive the volume a little bit higher, you could get away with it because you can drive, also drive the intensity higher. Like I can just load more in a back squat. So if I'm really trying to, if I back squat is 30% more than my front squat, I better make sure I'm getting all out of that 70% potential load of my front squat and if my upper back breaks down then it's only going to be driven further and further away from my my maximum potential of loading that movement so that's something that i've if i need to accumulate volume in a front squat i'll spread it out over more sets with pod power our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of albertans and alberta podcasters 
This episode is helping us give a pod power shout out to Book Woman. Book Woman is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomanpodcast.ca. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. And keep each set under six and get my volume through more sets rather than trying to get my volume all within a set because mm. it's likely going to be an inconsistent stimulus um, set over set if the set is like a longer duration. That's a really good point is like being okay with recognizing that you're going to do far more sets as opposed to trying to squeeze in as many reps where you're past that six rep mark and you're completely out of alignment and now you're at risking hurting yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Or at the very least, just not performing well. And I I would say the latter is more likely, you know, lifting is, is inherently pretty safe, but I would say the, the thing for me would just be like not getting the return on the investment of time that I'm putting into the exercise. Like, okay, I get to train for maybe an hour and 20 minutes a day. It's like, I better make sure that every rep sort of like quote unquote counts. And if it takes, you know, taking two minutes and then doing another four to six, then two minutes and then another four to six, rather than trying to do two sets of 12, then it's like, yeah, it's definitely a better investment that way. Yeah, no, definitely. Wow. That's awesome. That's a good lesson. I, uh, (laughs) you know, as you were talking there, it kind of got me thinking about how, you know, when I think about someone like myself who joined the personal training industry two years ago, right? Like right when COVID began. And then I think about someone like yourself who did it then, where even in the act of, you know, you talking about a trainer giving you a book, now it's different, right? Now it's like someone who's like, oh, check out this Instagram post. And I genuinely wanted to think about, you know, I'll keep this broadly. And I'm curious to know where you stand with it, where, you know, where you stand right now with when something really new comes into play and you get someone like, let's say an educator or, you know, somewhere you read and see, it's like, oh, you've been doing squats or lunges wrong your whole life. Here's how you need to do it. And I just wanted to know, like, let's just use an example, like knees over toes guy, someone who's just like entirely gamifying and changing the the way you do a lunge. And I just wanted to see, you know, where you stand with something like that, where, you know, is that relative? Is that something that based off the knowledge you have, Jordan, is, is that something you're like, yeah, add it, mix it, sure. Or yeah, no, this is right change it fully we've been doing it wrong like with a as an example right yeah i mean that's uh, that's funny that's a very pertinent one because i would say a lot of what i do especially at like the highest level of you know athleticism and professional sports um is the opposite of that like <laughs> the idea of taking uh, an nfl running back and putting his knees over his toes. It's like, his knees are always over his toes. The guy runs a 4'4 at 250 pounds. His knees are over his toes. The entire game, he's on his toes and his knees are in front of his toes because he's running really fast. So in the weight room, it's like, do I need to put his knees over his toes more? Did you just spend 20 plus weeks with his knees over his toes? So it's, it's yeah, it's, I mean, 
can the knees over toes guy ever do a front foot elevated split squat? Like, does he have to do that in his basement with his lights off? So no one sees him lifting with his knees behind his stuff. I just, I mean, I, and I look, I understand that it has a mass appeal, but again, go back to Poliquin. Poliquin's athletic lunge was like full on hamstring to calf knee way over the toes. It's like, now Poliquin probably wasn't the best and, you know, rest in peace. He'd probably admit this at the social media thing. You know, I've heard from a lot of people that he didn't really love having a camera in his face. And there's some days where I, I can empathize with that. So, you know, building an entire brand around a strict ethos. And I don't know the guy from the hole in the wall, so I, I couldn't speak. And maybe he has some context to it, but like that to anything that's mass prescribed in the wrong hands or in the wrong knees could be potentially dangerous. Like knees over toes guys, not going to work for, you know, six weeks post-op ACL. And it's like, you know, there's a market where it might be novel and in a a population where any stimulus is better than no stimulus and a novel adaptation will occur and, you know, knee pain will go away. Like, Hey, cool. That's if we're helping people, that's awesome. Um, I guess just, you know, context, is king as far as I'm concerned. And Instagram is not a place for it. You know, that's why it takes us almost four and a half months to get through one course. That's why, you know, we go on these podcasts and we talk forever. Um, so yeah, that, that's an interesting one. It's something that if ultimately, like my stance is if it gets more people moving and asking better questions, then I'm, you know, a lot of people in my circles were like up in arms with CrossFit when CrossFit first started. It's like, CrossFit put the barbells in in the hands of more people than any fitness phenomenon prior to. And I think we'll be hard pressed to see another one in our generation that brings it to the masses uh, quite like that did. I mean, CrossFit disrupted the commercial gym market. Like we wouldn't believe like, and I'm an early, early, you know, I, I was working for good life in mid 2000s. And the thought of, you know, there that those gyms being covered by anything but machines was insane. Like you're going to have turf in a good life. Is that where they're going to put the machines like rigs, racks, you know, chalk, barb, uh, bumper plates. Are you out of your mind? No, it's going to be lifetime fitness and hammer strength machines as far as the eye can see, but you know, CrossFit disrupted that. So ultimately if that's like, if that's the yield from it, then I'm, I'm a big fan, but like, from a more technical and tactical perspective in like my kind of day-to-day workings, it's, it, it doesn't have, yeah, it, I wouldn't say his, I don't, I don't know his practice as well. If we're kind of just kind of fixating on him, but I think we extrapolate a, a broader point from, from him just because his, his rise to, to notoriety. It's when you're dealing in situations of like, uh, like high stakes, where it's like this guy gets paid a lot of money like you know and if there's if there's a misstep on your end it's gonna it's gonna cost him it's gonna cost the team a lot of money like when you're playing in those environments it's like you don't have the luxury to just pull out your phone and be like let's try this today yeah no that that's a very good point and I find to be fair, you, you made a really good point there about, you know, as someone who is immediately post-op from an ACL surgery that just they have to themselves recognize or hopefully they have 
coaches and doctors under their wing that say, ah, maybe that's not a good idea quite yet. So just being able to decipher whether or not you're in the right, let's say, stage of your life to do so. Right. And I think that's a really fun part about what we do is, you know, the, the active experimentation, right. And, and then trial and error to some degree. Um, you know, I would not be, I'd be a liar if I told you that the first thing I recommend a client works, it's like, Oh no, that felt weird. It's like, okay, let's, let's backtrack. Let's make sure we do it appropriately. And it's, it's a matter of really listening to your client and, you know, to take it a step further, I think it'd be pretty cool to just recognize and hear from your end, Jordan, like where you see, uh, the fitness industry overall evolving to. And I could give you an idea myself of what I'm seeing. I want to know if you're seeing that on your end across the globe, but uh, something like even for instance, good life is capturing is we're going down the road of linking like martial arts movements to fitness in a commercial gym setting. Uh, That's something that I'm noticing good life is piloting in some clubs. Um, You know, I'm also talking to other people from different fitness gyms and it's very appealing. You know, you, you go to Canada now and you walk past a commercial plaza and you'll see a yoga joint. You'll see a 30 minute kick fit. You'll see a booster juice and then you'll see a commercial gym. But now commercial gyms or anyone that's in a big facility, they're trying to offer all of that in one place. So, you know, the martial artist in me gets excited, but also gets a little nervous and, and hoping that it doesn't get too commercialized. Right. It's like, I can't imagine how you must have felt where it's like, okay, good life starting to go the strength route. Let's cross our fingers. Let's hope it goes well. And for the most part, I mean, I'm sure you and I can both agree. It's awesome. Good life pivoted hard. They're making sure that we're leveling up our uh, trainers to, you know, get prescript or get actual hands on, uh, you could say, learning lessons to be good at it. But, uh, you know, my question to you is like, where do you see the fitness industry evolving towards in the next? five, 10, 15 years, you know, I see it going the martial arts route. I'm wondering where you see it. Yeah. I mean, I would say it'll go the martial arts route, five other routes. And then that cycle will be within three years. Like trends are the, the, the doubling rate of trends in itself is accelerating. So where a trend might be present for 10 years, like running was crazy. Like jogging outside was like a trend, but that still kind of reverberated like that lasted where like CrossFit, you know, is still around obviously, but like that was a trend for maybe a, a decade where it's not that anymore. Then F45 came around and F45, not many people know this, but they, they were actually a faster growing fitness company than CrossFit ever was. Um, you know, they put up 1700 clubs in the U S alone inside of two years. So a pretty impressive business model. Um, so, but again, like, are we on the other side of the F45 now? I think with, you know, big business, air quote, big business, starting to pay attention to the money in the industry. Like we see this with Apple, we see this with, um, Peloton, I think is obviously like the poster child for this. Like there's uh, integration of technology is undoubtedly going to be where you're going to reach the masses. Um, so if you can figure out, you know, uh, how to align your product in like a very consumer centric way and have it reach the end user through a vehicle of technology that allows for like the community aspect to still be present. That's where CrossFit won. They just didn't really have great technology. If anyone who's ever been on Wattify, they're like, what, what is this? This is like a trumped up Excel spreadsheet. This is bullshit. 
so I, I think, you know, we'll see little subsections. Yeah, you know, the UFC is a mainstay and martial arts uh, has kind of been like, like different sub martial arts or sub disciplines of martial arts have spun off into various gyms, similar to the way that like Olympic weightlifting and uh, gymnastics and powerlifting were just, you know, fractionated versions of the central core of CrossFit. We see the UFC now giving rise to wrestling clubs, so Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, to uh, Mai Tai, kickboxing, regular boxing, whatever. Um, but I would say, like, the big trends are going to be driven by the big money. And with so many people still not actively a part of, like, the quote-unquote fitness industry, the, the blue water markets are going to be touched by big companies that understand that sort of consumer centric model and how it is they're going to reach them is like likely through some sort of tech hook, right? Mm -hmm. So Peloton just slapped an iPad and on a, on a bike and re literally reinvented the wheel and charged you a monthly recurring uh, payment for it. So uh, I would say, yeah, things like that, like more bespoke brick and mortars will still pop up in, in niche markets and they'll do well because those niche markets can reach a very broad audience. Um, but I would say ultimately like the big, big players in fitness are going to be ones that are tech driven, ones that are very, very consumer centric, very convenient, you know, tonal mirror, all of these different companies with almost this like Silicon Valley startup slant to them. That's going to be, that trend will continue. Um, and on the other end of that, I'm sure we'll see like very bespoke pushback. Um, you know, personal service get much better. We're going to see personal training services be better as a consequence for those purists who don't want anything to do with working out in their living room. We're going to see, you know, the flip side become more exclusive, higher ticket. Um, but these, this is the back and forth as far as, as far as, um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, from where I'm sitting, that's definitely going to be the divide. Um, is we're going to see, you know, tech in home, very convenient. And then on the flip side, you're going to see high, very high end, bespoke studio style, one to one. Um, and yeah, and then it just, it's all going to be cyclical. We'll have the same conversation in 10 years. And we'll, just <laughs> we'll still be going in circles. I, and that's the thing I find whether it's related to COVID or not, or just an advance of technology at such a rapid pace is like you picked apart two things there that are in common between both is experience, right? Is like, can I still in the comfort of my own home, immerse myself in an incredible workout experience to the same degree where a boutique, let's say gym or a commercial gym can provide that. So you're right. I think it's ever changing. And it's one of those things where you, you throw something at the wall and you see what sticks um, you know, I know with COVID, a lot of things pivoted and, you know, for someone like me, I was a quote unquote online trainer prior to even becoming a personal trainer in person due to COVID. And I obviously I have my reasons why I prefer in person more so than online, but I think it's important that we still add online as something trainers should continue to invest time and energy into. Um, I hear the following language on my end, Jordan, I don't know how much you hear it, but a lot of trainers don't have as much belief in online training due to it not feeling as authentic or it being as much of uh, an impact where, you know, there's certain cues physically that you can address when you're with a client and the, the relationship can grow to be more, let's say, 
stronger in person, but uh, just any advice. I mean, if we could put online coaching and training on a certain pedestal right now, if, is there anything where you're like, Hey, I tried this or I heard this, you know, we need to do more of uh, whatever advice you want to share. So online training can be more relevant and, or just honest opinion, feel free to share like with like what you think about it and what should be done. Yeah. It's an interesting critique because I think it brings to light a lot about, uh, not a lot, but I always infer the critique of online training and I get it. Like, you know, one-to-one interaction is just, there's something, there's something intangible about being in a room with someone. There's an energy, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, like, like, I find the biggest issue with trainers that like in person or like, don't like, maybe not like in person and don't like digital, but don't like digital or, or find it necessary to be in the room is like pick better exercises. And I think that's where like education can actually help you more. Like you can, you can put up somewhat of a smoke screen in real life where it's like all you're left with online is your reps and sets. Like the, what is the actual strength of your programming in which your coaching is based off of? And a lot of times people's programming is somewhat baseless and that exposes them and they don't like that. Obviously, why would you like that? Cause it's like, if I have an exercise where I find it necessary to cue 10 different things, I've picked the wrong exercise, right? So a lot of people, you know, they'll start their clients off squatting most people when they first start lifting weights probably have no business with a bar on their back depending on like their training age their previous sport history your relative coordination past injuries like i would say six months is like the earliest just straight up because if i put a bar on someone's back like okay now sit back and knees this way and chest this way and bring your elbows and oh your head's a little bit dude, that's 10 cues and they haven't even bent their knees yet. This is insane. Like, what are we doing? Pick a different exercise, right? So building better constraints around your clients by the exercises that you choose can make the digital experience, again, never the same, but much better than it is. So I've always like, I'm always kind of like, all right, what do you need to work on whenever someone goes, like, I don't only train online. It's like, so you don't like making money? Like what exactly? I don't quite, I'm not, I'm not meeting you halfway here. Um, and then it usually comes down to like, you know, they're just, they're programming because it really is, you know, I, I would always make the argument like there's programming and coaching. And really the first program you ever write for someone is the only program you write for them. The rest of it's coaching, right? So like you write this program, you take a history, you sit down and be like, okay, I think we're going to do this. We'll train three days a week and based off of your goals and your timeline and blah, 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 we're going to do uh, three full body workouts a week. And then maybe as we progress in skills, we'll move to like upper, lower, upper, lower. We'll run on a four day road. And so you have this sort of like uh, this macro periodization model in your head. And then you bring it down to the actual day-to-day execution. And a lot of people, if they're picking two advanced exercises like yeah they want to be there in person be like oh no no like okay we're gonna deadlift today but they don't want their client deadlifting on zoom because it's just like oh shit like i'm not there to give them those ten thousand, right whether it's visual whether it's tactile whether it's auditory like i can't put together this menu of cues to make sure they do it properly it's they're doing the wrong exercise like they have to do something that that they can do somewhat mindless not mindlessly because you always want them to be mindful but they they can do with like 
without the fear of, um, you know, the fear of any sort of dreadful consequence happening. If you miss a cue, like, oh, I didn't tell them to put their knees out or whatever. And then their back hurts. Like, so that's always like a, a not a pain point, but it's always something that when I'm approached with this, you know, I don't really like online. It's like, do you not like it? Cause you're not good at it. Because, you know, if you're not good at writing exercise programming, your job as a coach becomes much harder. And people think they're good coaches because they're making the job harder than it has to be. If you can write good programming, then you can really focus on the interpersonal stuff. Because, yeah, yeah, the kids, as a wife, as a dog, whatever. Because it's like, I know my reps and sets are solid. I know they're, I'm meeting them exactly where they're at and leaving, a, you know, a little bit of leeway for them to progress session over session. So it's like, hey, that looks really good. Yeah, you know what? Let's put two and a half pounds on each side today. Okay, easy. And now back to regularly scheduled interpersonal program where that becomes highlighted even more when you're online. And like, if you can't make those snap decisions and just be like, okay, yep. Yeah, uh, actually today we're going to move from, uh, you know, a dumbbell RDL to a Bulgarian split squat. Like if you don't know how to program well, then you rely on the coaching side too much. And then when Zoom goes and pulls that, you know, rug out from under your feet, you're like, oh shit, like I gotta, I don't know what I'm doing. It, and that's just in my experience when I've seen that. So it's like, yeah, you should probably have like a more systematic way of, of programming so that you, when you do it online, you can still have the same confidence in their execution. And still, frankly, you should be able to get the same results uh, might not be as, as enjoyable, but it'll actually be more enjoyable if you get your programming right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's straight bars, man. I, I find that that is, you know, to, to, to huge credit to you and Prescript because that's what reminded me of needing to go back to my programs for my clients when I did, um, just finish Prescript with your course, because you emphasize that you're like, listen, you have to know why you're making a client do something, you know, from the order to the selection process to, you know, the function and, and origin and, and all of that, it, it ties in so much to not just doing an exercise for the sake of just doing it. I, I find that's the scary thing about what we do sometimes is it's like, oh, we have an hour. Ah, well, there's seven minutes left. Let's just uh, throw in a bunch of random shit. Like, and it's like, I'd argue like, I don't know if you agree on this, but it's like, I'd rather do like a 50 minute workout that had everything that needed to be in there than like an hour and 20 minutes of just straight torture. And then them coming out of it, shaking their head, being like, oh, you worked me hard. I'm going to be in pain tomorrow, but I don't know why I just did all that. Yeah. And then, then, then no one knows because the trainer doesn't know either. Yeah. It, I mean, writing and like, ultimately it always comes back to anatomy. Like if you know your ones and zeros on an anatomy standpoint, which is tough. Like I went through DLPTI. Like I, I've sat and had lunch with Eric. One Kai pun. I don't know. A thousand times. Like, and it's like, we talked about it. It's a hard job. Like it's, it's hard to teach someone the, the necessary skills to not be a liability on the floor while still being, Hey, here's some like ways to overcome objection and actually get people to start moving more. And it's, it's up. So like, I mean, the, like, and I think anatomy is the ultimate, like it's the ones and zeros, like it's the source code of movement. If you don't know that at least musculoskeletal anatomy, let alone like a, some level of neuroanatomy. Um, but that's what it'll come down to. Cause then it's not randomness, right? It's like, if you know, 
if you know Python, you're like, okay, this is the language. Now you can write movement code. Now you can execute movement programs, but it's like a lot of people and to no fault of their own per se, the industry hasn't demanded it, but it's like with COVID, it's like kind of separated the week from the chaff a little bit. Like if you're still around and you weathered this storm, fucking good on you. Um, but if it happens again, like you're going to, you, you're either going to be on the cusp again or out of the industry, or you're going to be completely fucked. Right. Like, and, and, you know, speaking anecdotally, like when COVID hit, that's when, and I don't do much, um, or I wasn't doing much, uh, coaching online, but my roster of players just in the NFL alone tripled in like a week. It was like, oh shit, I need someone to do this digitally. Well, this guy seems like a good guy to do it. So it's like, you know, it, cause it'll happen again. Whatever this crazy shit is, something will happen again in our career at the very least. So I, I think use it as a cool marker to be like, hey, last time like when COVID hit, stuff sucked and you know, I didn't have many clients. And then use that as like a like a flashbulb memory to be like, hey, whenever this next whatever it is comes down the line, my business got better. It's like that's probably a good indicator that you have been providing more value year over year. Because then you'll be able to look back and be like, man, I can't believe I was stressed last time this stuff happened. Big time. That's huge. I wanted to take that moment now to talk about, you know, as we go into the element of strategy here, Jordan, I'd love to hear about your approach as an educator. Um, you know, for someone like myself, I've been, you know, teaching in the space of martial arts originally since I was 11. And then over time, I always find that I really like noticing differences in certain nuances a teacher and educator brings, you know, everything from like my university profs to, you know, personal training educators to even certain martial artists. Like just this past weekend, I was in Vancouver. I did a private lesson, you know, and I think that's uh, something I find is really enjoyable in jujitsu or get to learn from someone for an hour, hour and a half. It's like pretty much call it a one-on-one session and this is the first time I did one where I didn't actually drill as much, you know, in a typical one-on-one session, it's like, all right, do this move, give it a try, keep doing it. I'll correct you. I'll let you know if you're doing it right. Just get your reps in. This guy, you know, his name's Matt Kwan. He uh, runs OG uh, BJJ. So it's called, um, uh, yeah, OG BJJ. And he goes to me and he's like, he's like, all right, man, there's three things you have to remember. He's like, have good posture have good stability and have good base. Uh, sorry, good structure and good base. And, you know, as I'm sure you can articulate what that is, even as, uh, you know, one that preaches that to the masses. He said that, that no other jiu-jitsu instructor said to me. And he also just like sat there for 30 minutes, similar to how you are in your sessions, where it's like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to educate everyone and talk and give them examples and, you know, go on the floor, switch cameras and showcase how to do it. Um, but again, why I bring that up is, I feel like you agree that you do have a unique style. I just wanted to have you speak on that, Jordan, and just share like what your teaching style is and, and why you've chosen to, to do it in that fashion. Um, maybe let's be honest. It's like, Hey, it's pre-script virtual. This is as good as it gets. Um, but I also just want to know, like, where did you start to figure out what your style is as you've gotten along the way of, you know, figuring out what style of coaching you like yourself and what you've kept uh, I'd love to know. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't, I'm not one for formality. Like I don't, you'll never see me wear a college shirt ever. <laughs> like there's just such a, there's a fitness educator starter pack that people wear. <laughs> and I'm just like, does everyone get the same? Is this like a monthly subscription box? Like, it's, where are you getting <laughs> shoes? That's, That's the like, most gen- like it's you like know, semi-formal. It can still do a right. squat, but like exactly. <laughs> like, look how stretchy these Under Armour khaki pants are. Like, fuck off. I just and it, they can't all be that. So I mean, for me, it's. I think part of it comes from yeah being taught at a very formal level and hating it like i've had a ton of teachers i was in school for almost the better part of a decade like from post-grad so it's like oh just like the dry academically con and like look and maybe sometimes i fly too close to the sun like eric has told me the cities that hey you gotta swear less like (laughs) when you're in when you're in the gta man like you know you gotta just tone it down but I, to me, it's like I, I like irreverence because it shows, at least for me, like it, it's my way of showing that I care. Like, look, when someone, will, I, we were in, geez, I think we were in Halifax, we we're in Lower Sackville, and someone asked me about, I don't know, some ridiculous Instagram account or whatever. And it was at a point where eh, I fucking had nothing to lose. So I just like teed off on like somewhat of a rip. And I looked up and like three minutes later and like three people had their phones out. I'm like, ah, shit. Like, they were going, but it's like, because it, it matters to me. Like I, I would say it's, it's definitely, I want people to leave knowing that they, that was what they do matters, like on the good and the bad. Like I, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario. Like the peak of my success should have been putting together cars for Chrysler. Like that should be what I do for a living. But I somehow fell in love with whatever the hell this is. And I can travel around like, and I attribute it to like, just like giving a shit. Cause like, if you care, then you'll do what's necessary to help people. And then I don't know, that sounds kind of corny, but like, cause sometimes doing what's necessary is like, you know, I've opened my office at 2 a.m. in the morning because someone called me. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm in like a ridiculous amount of pain and you're the only person that answered. I was like, okay, that's terrible exclusion criteria, but we're, we're going to figure it out. And it's just like, if you, I think some people don't, not that they don't care, but they don't realize that like it's all high stakes. Like, you know, I get, I got guys that lose 40 grand in their couch cushions. Like, there's athletes I work with be like, what the fuck is this? Wait, did you? Oh, oh I'm thinking about that. So it's like, whether it's that person or whether it's like the flip side of that, like, you know, it's cool to be able to take someone from running a four or five to a four or four. That's really cool. And like, hey, I re-signed a contract and now I make, you know, 20 million a year. I'm like, that's insane. But it's equally as cool to like have a guy like, you know, I won't name his name, but like I had a, I had a patient when I first started who had like, by the time I'd seen him, he had four neck surgeries. And like this guy was West Point grad, straight to the brow line, like old school, like tough ass dude. And, you know, to take a guy who like had to get driven around places who used to be like in the middle of like Fallujah and shit 
and we have him just be able to like turn his neck again with no pain and actually start lifting it's like if you care that's as cool as like yo man i just signed for 20 million it's like yeah sick but it's like i think a lot of people it's like oh we have an hour and 20 minutes to kill it's like well just then just end it like if that's how you're looking at it like then just 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 go do something else so i think like trying to impart that because some of it's boring like anatomy and biomechanics is kind of boring because i learned it for like a decade but i was like certainly there has to be a less boring way to teach this like i mean i teach about injuries and talking about a client that i had that got stabbed three weekends in a row so it's like i don't know i just try to make it so that people give a shit or if they don't at the very least they know that like okay maybe this might not be for you because like this is you know we bitch about like you know the the state of the industry and all trainers are so bad and it's like okay then be better like it's not it's not I don't want to say it's not hard. Like, it's simple. It's just not easy. So, I don't know. For me, like, a teaching style is, like, I don't want to be bored either. Like, it's a lot, man. Like, to teach, uh, I've done four-day seminars before. And, like, what, that's eight, nine hours a day of, like, just nonstop talking. So, you do, what, 18, like, 30-something hours of just yammering. Like, I remember I taught a four-day course in London. And I flew back to New York. And I remember, like, getting on the plane in, Heathrow on a Sunday night and not saying a word to anyone until the checkout counter at Trader Joe's on Thursday. The lady handed me a receipt. I was like, oh, thank you. And I was like, that's the first words I said in four days. <laughs> so it's, I, I mean, yeah, I know, irreverent is something that comes to mind. Like I like to use a lot of like comparisons, analogies, metaphors to try and make like difficult concepts like attainable. Um, but I also just I don't know. I, I, I just like, I like using a lot of examples. I don't like, I don't like useless knowledge. Like I hate the idea of like educators just sitting there and like just proving how smart they were. I'm like, dude, they have your money. Like they know they, they're assuming that, you know, something that might be useful. So it's just like, I just, I don't know. I get frustrated to think all of all the money that I've spent and just sat in class and just beat my head against the wall and be like, what? Because there could have been something useful there, but just the way it was delivered was just by someone who just wanted to collect a paycheck and fuck off. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't, like, I, don't, I would never want it to be that. Like, it's, it's nothing I've ever thought about. It's nothing that I've ever, like, you know, you, you, it's situational awareness, read a room like, oh, okay, like I'm not going to say this bit in front of this person because that might offend them. And it's like, okay, like I know, I remember I was Good Life Mississauga, uh, Ellie, Ellie is like a district manager, Ellie and Santino, they were both. So Santino is like the district for where I was in. I think she was, she was, she's not Windsor. And it's like, I, you know, like I figure out who the managers are first and go like, I'm going to, when I drop like the kind of like near the knuckle offensive shit, I'm going to keep one eye over here. And I drop like, <laughs> you know, I would say out of a scale of 10 on the way I can, you know, be irreverent. It was like maybe a four. And I was like, okay, we're going to recalibrate the rest of the material to that level. So it's, uh, I, I don't know. It, Cause it is, it is, it can be so boring. Like I know that's probably why I do it because I'm so mad that it was boring, but it's just, yeah, to think and try to dissect the style, it's just, 
I should be making cars for a living. I get, to do, I, get, I get to do this. So I'm just stoked that I'm not putting screws into a door on yeah. an assembly line somewhere in Windsor, Ontario. So, um, yeah, I think in a word, irreverent. But I don't know. I like to think that I care a lot about it and try to impart that. Like, if you can leave and just care more, I don't know if that can be taught. Be like, wow, I didn't know you could care about this so much i'm gonna see what else is under here because i'm missing something because this dude is like he's in tears talking about something over there and it's like a bicep curl like how is this he deranged so yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't know if that answers a question it's like a really poor example of any sort of teaching style because i couldn't even articulate what it is or how it is i teach oh i mean hey no that that was perfectly answered man like i i find the funny thing there is like yeah you have to know your audience right like you made a good point there and, and how you actually like you wake up every day um, almost in shock, almost to be like, oh, wow, like this is my life. Like this is what I get to do. And this is, again, why I feel like you're such a perfect guest on the show, Jordan, because like we bring on and I love talking to people who like actually give a fuck. Like, you know, it's like, again, you just made a good point. It's very easy to like, look at a professor and be like, ah, he doesn't want to be here as much as I do. Like he's just in it for the paycheck. And you're, you're part of that 1% where what makes you who you are and what allows people to get in front of you is I notice being in your classes, you explain it like you're explaining it to someone who's hearing all the terms for the first time. Um, and I find that's, that's extremely important is I find we get to know something enough where we tend, and I'll just speak on behalf of any, let's say specialist where we'll say it in a way where it's like, Oh, how do you not know what this means? And I've, I've seen that. Like I, I've, I've, I've witnessed coaches who will like belittle me and they'll be like, you're doing it wrong. And this is like jujitsu coaches. Like you're doing it wrong. You don't even know what you're doing. And it's like, oh, for every time you say that, you make me want to punch you in the face. It's like, yeah, then, then teach me. Like, I, you're belittling me. How about you show me how it's actually done? And I find that is probably even tougher to do from a virtual capacity because you're dealing with a lot of different type of people who are sitting at their desk taking notes or just listening to what you're saying. And you kind of have to cater to the masses in that degree, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's setting exclusion criteria, though. Like social media podcast like I'm never not this so people aren't going to be surprised when I, they get more of this so it's not like I I flip the script on them and am someone different so I think because so much of our reach is driven through social media and you know we've we now have like brand recognition outside of just me like people show up and be like who's this guy I'm like oh perfect this is where I want the business to be um, but yeah, I think exclusion criteria is, is huge. And we've had people who are like, you talk too fast. And I was like, okay, here's your money back. I don't <laughs> like that's, I have, because it's a 16 week course already. If I talked at a normal cadence, it'd be a 30 week course. So it's like, and you can rewatch all of the lectures in your portal. So it's like, if this is then, okay, but so I, um, yeah, I mean, for me, that exclusion criteria, I think, is really big. And it, it brings a, a certain level of, like, continuity. And not continuity as far as, like, a, you know, a thought or anything like that. But just continuity as far as sensibilities go. Like, there's a certain 
continuity to like the decorum of the people that take like hey we could all have a laugh like no one's no one's like too sensitive like you can't be and I take a go at everyone so it's like um it's not like I'm necessarily picking on any particular subgroup like I need to pick on a bodybuilder today all right well there's Anthony Anthony's from Jersey so I'm gonna pick on him because he's jacked out of his gourd it's like well I need to pick on a yoga guy. It's like, that guy's got a top knot. I'm going to yell at him for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everyone, no one takes themselves too seriously. And I think the the subtext of it, and hopefully it's become actually more to the forefront in current or more recent semesters is like reading the room is the curriculum. Because it's like, if you're coaching someone, that's what you're doing, right? So I'm doing it with, 50, 70, 150, 200 people on a Zoom call. It's like, you can do it with one person because it's like, everyone gets so fixed on their clipboard and it's like, they don't think like, I've had to do, you know, change my approach with four different athletes, whether digitally or in person this week alone, right? Like I had, you were right at the beginning of the NFL off season for pretty much every player, except for those on two very special teams. So it's like my approach in communicating with a few, you know, running backs, kickers, quarterbacks is totally different than, you know, we have kids. We're three weeks out to the day to the NFL combine. You got Mm -hmm. kids who are, you know, we're programmed for them. So it's like, you got to be able to pivot your tone, your intention, your assertiveness. Hi there. I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. To a five-year vet that makes more money than you'll ever see in your life, to a kid who's trying to cut his first paycheck and get into the league, to an Olympic gold medal badminton player. It's like, you know, I sat down with the other day. It's like, you know, I was listening to this podcast and where they were talking about this zone of cardio. I'm like, oh, this is a data guy. Like this is, this is, this guy's a numbers dude. So I'm going to show him a couple of my cool spreadsheets in a minute. And we're going to be on the same page where it's like, you want to bring spreadsheets into an NFL weight room? Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like, yeah, that works for... The, the Danish guy with a gold medal in badminton, it's not going to work for, you know, starting running back for a team that won the Super Bowl last year. Like, it's just not going to work. So, like, that's really, like, through coaching or, like, through teaching, it's like there's a subliminal curriculum that is what I'm doing the entire time. It's like, read the damn room. Like, because yeah. it's like you could have all the information, but if you don't know that, like, this person really wants to hear it, this person doesn't give a shit or, and there's some people in the middle that want to know at a certain time. And they really want you to notice like, and I said all the time, my favorite like coaching moments. And that's something that I still like pride myself in. I guess you asked me an earlier question about like different styles of educators. I think mine is born of someone who still does it. Like, I don't, I don't just, like I talk enough to allow me to go other places and to work with really cool athletes. Like I am a cash or will never cash my chips in on like actually training people, which might be a differentiator when it comes to educators in the market right now. Like I still pride myself in cutting my teeth and like waking up at 4am and like, you know, going in and doing early sessions and, and 
still wherever I go with whoever I can, like I'll still cut my teeth where, and I think that is kind of like, not, not necessarily a lead from the front because I don't care. I just actually like doing it. Like I actually like doing the actual thing, which is like most people want to seem smart enough so they can teach about the stuff that they kind of know mm-hmm. just so they can stop doing it. It's like, what? why 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 do you why is that the why is that the goal so i think like ultimately it's like the the subtext of the curriculum is like know how to read the room and then using examples like i like using examples of clients i train because it's like i'm not just a talking head up here i'm literally standing next to you on the gym floor because that's where you'll find me wherever i can yeah no that's brilliant i uh I want to, I want to pick apart with what you said originally, but like really knowing who you're talking to. Um, it reminded me so much of, uh, actually one of my trainers at good life. It was his client. He's a comedian and he was just performing at uh, the comic strip in good old West Edmonton mall. And that was before he went out to New York to headline somewhere out there. And, uh, you know, we go talk to him after and it's, it's funny. Like what you say, it's, it's down to the same principle of what anyone else does in their profession. And he said it this way. He's like, listen, Kenny, he's like, it could be the exact same act, the same thing I'm saying, but every single time it's a different show. And he's like, do you know what I mean by that? I was like, well, no, he's like, what's going to make me remember tonight is the one guy at the front that said, you smell like a stinky asshole. <laughs> he's, <laughs> like, he's like, cause that was something in the moment that I just decided to run with in the act. And he's like, you know, you would have noticed every 10, 15 minutes, I would look at the guy and be like, hey, I turn around. Do I still smell like a stinky asshole? And he'd like waft his ass. And like, just like, but again, it was like very vulgar, but he was just saying to me, he's like, the point I'm trying to make is at the end of the day, he's like, there's going to be certain people that you're going to gravitate to in a show and you're going to use them in your act. And he's like, that is what makes it very memorable, but it also keeps you on your toes because certain people are going to be far more engaged than everyone else, but they're going to allow this almost reciprocity effect, like, you know, give and get, like, give me something to work with. So like you said earlier, you're stimulated, right? And uh, that reminds me, even when I'm podcasting, I know half the time I'm thinking, what do people want to ask? But another part of me is like, hey, am I curious about it? Because if I don't care, then it's not going to come off authentic. And the second thing is it's going to go over my head. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the crowd work piece is interesting. Like a, the, and his ability to dissect it is really uh, that that's like artful. Like some yeah. people just do it and they are good at it. But like, and I've, I've, I have some clients that are stand up, and I was actually just texting one of them yesterday, kind of about like the Joe Rogan cancel thing. And, I, there was a really good there's a comedian named Brian Simpson who has a, a thing on Netflix of a show called Stand Up, and I think he's the third episode. And he he's, he's black, and he does an N word bit, and it was so like pertinent to like the times. And I I was texting my buddy about it, and like he they know all the moves, which is the really cool part, because like but when it comes off like on stage, like you know when they're doing like quote unquote crowd work, it's it's as if it was. And I even had to text him. I was like, was this planned? Like the crowd work that this Brian Simpson guy did in this bit was so good. And I was texting my buddy Akash and I was like, dude, you got to break this down for me. He's like, no, like he's just that in the moment that he put all that stuff together. And I was like, wow, that's really like admirable. 
because it's like we all kind of want to be able to like tie these links together and like make this perfect like perfect pitch or perfect punchline. I was like, fuck, like that's like just to be able to like look laterally from like what what you do to like a stand up comedian is like yeah on the surface two things couldn't be further apart. But yeah, it's uh it's it's an interesting it's an interesting way to communicate. That's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. You can't help but like look at it similarly, right? Because you're on stage essentially for two, three hours, the same way a comedian would be doing a stand-up act, right? Yeah, I'd love to see some of my guys try and do three day acts. So <laughs> that's, that's the tough part. Yeah, that's where it gets intense. Uh, no, cool, man. I want to transition a little bit. Just again, being respectful of your time, you still have about 15 minutes till we have to let you go, right? Easy. Yep. Beauty. Um, I want to transition into. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about, yeah, you know, strategy and movements and, you know, personal training overall. Uh, I want us to now go into uh, picking your business brain and, and anything that you feel would be, um, you know, vital to, to knowing when it comes to anyone in the training space to scale. And I find that all is based off of uh, your experience, right? Is, you know, when you knew it was time to let's just say leave good life, you know, when you felt like it was time to go, Hey, you know what, we need to do this across the world and, and we need to go virtual and everything in between, you know, um, take it from like my perspective, again, can't help but relate and kind of tell you where I'm at with things where, you know, I think something that I struggle with Jordan is like, I know I could go the corporate good life round and be like, yeah, let's become VP of this company one day. Like, let, let's do it. Let's, let's change at that point, a hundred thousand lives and be a part of the direction of a company that already does it successfully. Or, you know, let's take into my love for martial arts and let's take what I love doing all my life and quote unquote commercialize it. You know, let's, let's be a part of taking it into a gym that's willing to go hand in hand with me and, and let's, let's blow it up. Let's make, MMA, BJJ, and Muay Thai at every single location, like just as an example. But it's like, okay, in my case, when do you make that decision? What steps do you need to take? Uh, you know, when does, when, when did, for instance, for yourself, when you were thinking, oh, if I make this decision, I'm possibly losing out on this, but I'm ready to do it anyway. Um, you know, I just want to know with timing wise, what worked best for you with the decisions you made and what you thought about along the way. Yeah, I think you're giving me more credit than I deserve. Like, I just... <laughs> Outside in perspective, uh, no, right? Yeah, I just... Did, I don't know, man. I feel like I just did shit that I wanted to do because for so long I did shit that other people wanted me to do. So it was, like, very, very simple. I, if it if Basically, like, if it wasn't a fuck yes, it was a no. And, like, that was... as much, And obviously there's more to it in the business development side than that. But, like you know, the big catalyst, like I lived in Windsor and I could go to school in Toronto. I never really, I mean, we traveled a bit as kids, but like, that was a big move. I was like, yep. Okay. And then I finished my undergrad. And I was like, well, I want to go to Cairo school. Where could I go? And then like, we go to school in California. I was like, okay. And then I just like, that sounds cool. And I just left and then worked in California. And then I think ultimately like, you know, once things got rolling, Cause it's all like, and this is going to sound maybe premeditated, but like, it's all leveraged. Um, so understanding like, why, why did I want to go to chiropractic college? Cause my friend trained this guy named Riaz at good life. And Riaz was a Cairo and Riaz drove a Range Rover 
And I fucking love Range Rover. So <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty cool. So I, he kind of works one-on-one like a trainer, but he makes enough money to drive a Range Rover and he's off every day at 3 p.m. I like, I thought I did. Apparently I don't. Um, but I was like, all right, we'll I'll go down that route. And then, you know, what did chiropractic college give me? It gave me, it gave me leverage. So then it was like, you know, social media. I started, I started my Instagram account in my third year of chiropractic college with the intent of like, okay, I'm going to somehow use this as a, as a, as a leverage piece, right? The you garner a following talking about whatever bullshit I talk about. And it was very much, I never had an Instagram before that. It was purely set up for like quote unquote business purposes. And um, then I got, was lucky to get a job at Apple as a corporate chiropractor upon graduation. So that was like a really big leverage card for me because, you know, a company like at the end of the day, it's still like whatever, it's a bunch of software engineers, not to be disparaging, but it's like, I wasn't making the iPhone 14. I was just working in this corporate wellness center. It's just the company has a lot of notoriety. And then I was able to leverage that. And I started working as a strength coach at Stanford. I had my own practice at the time. So it was just like, just I don't know, saying under, I don't know, I'm saying yes, sounds so cliche, but like just understanding like leverage, who has it, understand when it's not worth it. Like I've had a lot of opportunities with people that I just don't jive with. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Right? And I'll never lose sleep off of that. Like if you can kind of understand your values and what that means to you and then play the game within the confines of those values, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's never been easy, but it's, it's, there's a certainty that comes with the decisions you make that leads you to not hesitate. And I think the hesitation is going to kill more people than, than wrong decisions ever will. So it's like, I've never hesitated because I make the decisions based off of like, you know, a certain core values or certain core values. And that way it's like, if something bad goes wrong, it's like, yeah, but the opposite was do the other thing that, you know, infringe on your values. And that would have been way worse. So it's like, there's never really been, I don't, I feel like I've, I haven't had a misstep in seven years since I've been in practice, since I've graduated. Um, because any bad thing that happened, usually like, you know, and not that there've been many, but usually has opened the door for a better opportunity after. Um, so yeah, like a part of it is, you know, I didn't really have a plan. Obviously I still feel like I don't, and, and that's sort of like a kind of a fly by my seat of my pants, sort of like, Hey, let's go here tomorrow. Like I moved to Dubai two weeks ago. I live here now. That's weird. And you know what? This oh, wow. Live. I thought, okay. I thought it was a vacation, oh, but congrats no, 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 on no, moving. That's unreal. I'm in my like condo thing now i live here yeah so it's like crazy shit like that where it's like yeah no for sure absolutely this is like uh you know no no doubt no hesitation like okay um so yeah it's i don't know like god okay maybe here's a, a more succinct answer like making decisions based off of like your your heart your head and your gut in in that order um so it's like how do you feel how do you like what are you thinking and then what's like, what is that voice in your head telling you? And that can, the more you do that, the quicker that process happens. I was like, yep, okay, be there. Like I've had some cool opportunities that would have like played well on social, but wouldn't have played well up here. I'm like, nah, mm. I'm good. And that it's so instantaneous now. So I think a lot of people, they hum and they haw 
and they, you know, they don't end up getting anything done where it's like, fuck around and find out, man. Like this is either going to really work or it's really not. So, um, yeah, I think, and that doesn't necessarily sound like business advice, but it's probably the most sound business advice I could give because it's just like, especially in training, man, like, cause you can't fake it. Right. And so many people try and COVID made this level playing field for people that didn't really do shit, whether it's on like the actual training side, whether it's on the education side, it's like, you know, like it's still, you still got to expose yourself. You still need to, like, I think what, you know, kind of doubling back to an earlier question, it's like, I've assumed a certain amount of risk over the content that I teach because it's the principles that I make the decisions, the training decisions for the clients that I work with every day and these clients are higher and higher and higher i don't want to say priority like that's that's not the right way to word it but like there's higher stakes in getting something wrong for someone who entire livelihood is their body versus someone who like you know works a nine to six and then goes and works out right so it's like i take kind of i take a pride in the, those decisions and I assume some risk and I think that might be the ultimate advice is like take risk like it's okay like what is the worst thing like I left California on like which was probably my biggest like okay this better work I literally packed up all my shit I sent a hockey bag of my clothes back to my parents in Windsor and I had uh where was I, I was going to New York I was going to Beirut I was going to Tampa Chicago and then a month in Australia as I had seminars booked every weekend in those places. So it was like three months on the road. I left everything in California, closed my office pretty much in the middle of the night. I was done. And I was like, okay, worst case in three months, I'll go back and crash with my parents in Windsor and then I'll figure it out after that. And three and a half, almost four years later, the longest time I spent in one city was 11 days. Wow. Just figured it out. I just figured it out. Yeah. So I was in, like, I was in Australia for a month and then I would would have returned in like February. And then, you know, a few weeks before I was going to go back and make my way back to Windsor, Ontario with my tail between my legs, someone emailed me and was like, Hey, it was actually the John Meadows rest in peace. Uh, It was him. He's like, Hey, do you want to come out to Columbus and shoot some YouTube stuff with me? I was like, are you? Yes. So I flew from, uh, where did I fly? I flew from Melbourne to LA, spent a week in LA with a client that I had got while I was on the road and then through to Columbus, Ohio. And then someone was like, Hey, like, can you be in San Francisco next week? And I was like, yep. So I flew and then that was my life for almost four years. And, but that was a huge risk. I just left, but it's like, what was the risk? I went and lived back. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. That would have sucked, but it's like, have you seen anywhere else in the world like have you have any idea how not a risk that is so it's like i i don't know um have values number one know what they are know how to act within them you'll never make a bad decision understand leverage within the confines of that value system and have a certain appetite for risk and you'll be fine wow i love how you've managed to still like on the spot come up with a formula of success towards Every answer you give, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> but hey, man, no, that makes perfectly clear sense. And, you know, as you were talking there, it really got me thinking where like, yeah, I mean, 
what do you have to lose? You, you, you gave yourself a three month timeline and then flash forward four years later, here you are. And it's just very unique when you as a human, anyone just says, Hey, what do I have to lose if I do this for three months and worse comes to worse, I go to, let's say my parents' place or, you know, but I don't know until I try. And um, I, I feel like that level of belief in yourself is uh, a huge part and token of your success, Jordan. And I can speak on behalf of a lot of people here where, you know, you're, you're a staple in the fitness industry. And I, man, I can't even imagine with what you've done the past decade and what's to come in the next decade ahead. And I know that there's just going to be tremendous more value that you're going to offer, man. So let me, let me toot your horn when I get the chance here. <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm just going to be a travel blogger. I think that's, what, <laughs> that's my next 10 years. The uh, travel, travel blogger, walk around with my DSLR. Yeah, just quick pivot. Just no more educating. Uh, we're in Abu Dhabi now, so we just got to throw a bunch of pics for the gram. <laughs> that's awesome. I uh, just want us in the last couple of minutes here to share, Jordan, you know, where um, can people follow your journey? You know, if someone is living underneath a rock, listening to our fitness and health podcast, and they want to learn and explore and, and check you out more in depth, uh, where can they find you in the good old uh, internet nowadays? Yeah. Uh, Instagram is at the underscore muscle underscore doc. That's like the day-to-day stuff that I kind of get up to fitness and non-fitness related. It's pretty much just an open window into my life now, which I think has been, no, it, that's been a much better way to approach social media is, I know, so, and like, however it's manageable for you. And this is something that like, you know, that's another podcast in itself is like trying to establish a healthy relationship with social media. So for me, it's like, I just, it's just whatever, man. Like, you know, it's not just fitness stuff. Like it's travel stuff. It's, it's anything that I find interesting. So it's a pretty good lens into my day to day. On the education side, I would say like the most in-depth, like if you're interested in taking a course and, but like, Hey, like, I don't know about this guy. Our podcast is probably like a pretty good place to just start listening. Depending on the episodes, it might be more topical. Some might be, you know, a reverence to the max. So that's our uh, RXD radio on spotify uh youtube i think is on my youtube channel so that's the uh the muscle doc youtube channel uh and itunes uh so that's a pretty good place all course information as far as logistics and all that registrations are at uh on prescript.com www.pre-script.com um i think that's it uh, if you ever want to chat email uh jordan at the muscle doc.com yeah i don't know like, give me my home address you guys want to stop by you're in dubai like i live on jake zayed road i don't know that's yeah that's, <laughs> that's, pretty much, that's pretty much where you'll find me that's awesome man well hey you know what i wanted to take the time once again to appreciate you jordan while we have you on air and you know i i bet a lot of our audience members got a ton of value from this especially me you know just getting to know you more on a personal level and uh really getting advice not only on the, the exercise and program selection but also just to lead, lead by example, you know, and also uh, from the business advice you just gave is to, to lead not only with uh, the mind, but the heart and the gut as well and everything in between. So I'll get to just stick on for just a couple minutes after for uh, just some wrap up. But uh, for those of you, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please, you know, share it, like it, um, you know, review us and follow Jordan Shallow on his journey as he continues to change the world one rep at a time. Thanks, man. Thank you, Jordan. All right, man. I appreciate that. That was fucking awesome.